Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am uh, so glad that we've got this time together. I can hardly wait. We're going to have Guy Talk coming up in just a minute. And then the amazing and beautiful Queens of the Roundtable will follow. We're going to have two hours of extremely lively conversation, which I hope you will enjoy. If you have any topics you would like us to cover, let us know what they are. Our line number is 877-933-2484. Dr. Peter Kapsner is in studio and uh, uh, Drew and Tom, that's the power panel. We're going to uh, get formal introductions after the break, but for now, we will take a very short break and get things underway in 60 seconds. There are certain things you absolutely cannot do a thing about. I'm Johnny Erickson Tata, and I'm not talking about death or taxes, but oddly normal things, like the other morning. Ken left early, and my friend was due to arrive at 8 a.m. to help get me out of bed. Well, somewhere around 7 a.m., Ken's alarm went off. And oh no, my friend wasn't coming for another hour. I turned my head and I couldn't believe it. There was a strange dog by my bed. My neighbor's Yorkshire Terrier had come through our dog door, the one meant only for our little schnauzer, but I couldn't do a thing about it. So I laid there paralyzed, blasted by that noisy alarm, and watching our schnauzer's fascination with his new friend. Lesson learned? Well, there are none, but from disabilitycampaign.org, it's a reminder that for all the strange, frustrating things in your life, some things you can't do a thing about. So pull it together and just push through it. Welcome back to the show. Guide Talk's underway. Awfully glad uh, to have uh, the power panel, and my regular fixture is Dr. Peter Kapsner, and now Tom Brock is back, Pastor Tom Brock is joining me back in the studio again. But we have a new guest in, and uh, Peter, I think I'll let you introduce your friend. And first of all, how are you doing? And last time we talked, you were trying to get that musty smell out of your car. Yeah, you know, I haven't uh, accomplished that just yet. I, I did discover, however, it was my 13-year-old sandals that had been stuck in there after he'd run through some mud. So there's a, a concoction there yeah, that you don't really want in, in your car for that long. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. Next to me here, we got uh, Pastor Reverend Drew Fernelius, who is also the baseball or the tennis coach at Bethel University here right down the street. Been good friends for the Welcome better part of Welcome to the show, years. Drew. Glad to be here. Yeah, really nice. All right, uh, let's just jump in. Uh, first of all, as you you know you um, start to think about uh, things you think about every day. Let's look at a couple of quotes. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, "A man is what he thinks about all day long." Marcus Aurelius said, "A man's life is what his thoughts make of it." And of course, in Proverbs, Solomon says, "For a man thinks in his heart, so is he." So, what are you guys thinking about all day long? Yeah, you know, we were talking about that off air just a little bit. It would be pretty interesting, wouldn't it, to just sort of jot down yeah. a series of things as they're crossing through your mind throughout the day and then start kind of just seeing where the patterns are and what they what they lay, especially if you could do it over the better part of 10 or 15 years and see how things shift over the course of a lifetime in terms of what you think about. I know one of the things we were chatting about is, um, you know, and as it relates to career, 
I'm thinking often these days about, so what is significant? What do you leave behind? What matters in the long term? What is different than uh, just trying to build something for yourself moving forward? So that, yeah, I think that's on my mind quite a bit in a given day if I was to jot something like that Mm -hmm. down. Uh, What about the emotions you've had today so far? I mean, it's three o'clock central time. What kind of emotions have you had? Have you had anger? Have you had resentment? Have you had lust? What, what, Mm. what's on the list? Uh, Or don't you want to say? (laughs) <laughs> well, you're looking at me still, so I mean, I'm just, I, I, uh, and everyone yeah. else is too. <laughs> I know, I, I'll pick option E, all of the above. Okay, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, I'm sure I can think of already interactions that I've had with my wife Hallie today that would have had uh, some maybe some anger, but also some delight in them. Sure. I can I can think of uh, a concern and fear. I, can, I remember just sitting back and I'm feeling anxious, and I don't really know why. I couldn't mm. think. So there's a series of things that that are all in that pot for sure. I think it's it's interesting to think about that. God knows what we're thinking about. Uh, a lot of times we think about, well, and I'm so glad somebody doesn't know what I'm thinking about what I'm saying, <laughs> but God does. Uh, and like Peter said, there's some there's some really joyous things that we think about, and there's some things that uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we wouldn't want anybody to know that we're thinking about, and how can we set our minds on those things that, that we should be thinking about, I think mm-hmm. is the is the key that we should we should talk about. Mm. And Bill, I've been garage sailing all day long. <laughs> all right, so and you're I, in a real happy mood. Well, actually, I love garage sailing. It's yeah. fun. But, <laughs> talk about anger. Yeah. So I go into a uh, liberal church for their rummage sale about two hours ago, and it's the Lutheran church. I'm a Lutheran. And uh, went up to the table and got their healing touch sheet. So okay. you, you can have healing touch <laughs> sessions. And you read it, it's so new age. Oh. What is this Lutheran church doing? So I'm happy garage selling, but kind of depressed about what I stumbled upon. Okay. Well, let me ask about the depression word, because often does that happen in your lives? Do you have seasons? You've never had it. You've mm-hmm. had it occasionally. What uh, what can you admit to? Yeah, seasons is a good word, for okay. sure. Um, I would say... It's even not on off a, the table. You've had it. Yeah, I, I you know, not necessarily diagnosed, right. um, but, but I would say that certainly you sort of feel flat for a pretty extended season. The, the things that used to excite you... And maybe the things that you would care about and the things that you found some passion and energy towards, you get up uh, some morning and all of a sudden you don't have any of that. And then it can become, a, you know, a season I would define as a good month or two or three, uh, certainly even a year or two. Um, I would say getting back to what we just talked about, when life began to shift and get a little older and start thinking, hang on, maybe I'm not going to live forever uh, like I thought for a while uh, and in terms of in this world, then it was this sort of descent and I'm not going to matter forever and, and all of these sorts of things. And in that season, I was pretty depressed for a while. Well, what about present trials and future glory? How much do you think of those two throughout mm-hmm. your day? Well, I think of the present trials when those that we love are not making the choices that we'd want to make, mm-hmm. when our kids and, and those around us that we love are, are going in a different direction that we would want and allowing our circumstances to, to think about what we're thinking about instead of God's glory is, is, is a difficult thing. So how do, we, how, how do we come together and support each other when, when we see that each other are hurting and, and to, come, you know, to come together and make a difference for that? Yeah, Drew, I heard a sermon you gave recently where you talked about even you gave a personal example just in terms of how you're in a season of having to be patient and what that means to be patient as a parent in the midst of some really difficult circumstances. Yeah, when you when you have someone that you love that's not making the decisions that you want and you have to wait. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not the most patient person. <laughs> and God loves to uh, make us wait. And there's there's probably a topic of, of waiting and patience probably more than we'd like to understand in the Bible. And why do we have to wait? We don't always know the answer to that question. Boy, and uh, just living in the middle of that is 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 not an easy thing. I hear, I'm talking about depression. I remember hearing the, the saying, depression 
is anger turned inward. Mm-hmm. And that and that's not always true, but often if I'm really depressed, it's because I'm angry about something and I'm not dealing with it. And so then I'll get depressed. And so <clears throat> often I'll have to talk it out with the person I'm upset with or I'll have to pray through or whatever. But often for me, if I'm really depressed, I'm angry about something. That's a great answer. That is a great yeah, answer. Yeah. When stuff brews inside and, and you know, you don't process it, it's just going to come around and bite mm-hmm. you. All right. Um, let me ask you about contentment. Are you content with your lot in life? I guess that kind of gets into what do you think about all day long? Mm-hmm. I mean, and do you find contentment when you think about your day, your life? We're men talking now. Well, yeah. I was probably more content the other day when I beat Peter at golf. <laughs> yeah. uh, that that leads to more contentment, but that makes you think about the fact that sometimes our commitment is is, short, is so short lived, and we're thinking about the right now. And as we as we get older, we think about what kind of contentment can we have as far as leaving that legacy that lives beyond us. Yeah. You know, as right now we're trying to be content with what can I have right now to make me happy. Yeah. But as we get older, how can we how can we have that? How can we make that difference? And I think contentment comes when we lower our expectations of life, when I don't expect everything to go my way, when I'm sitting at a traffic light and I'm angry that it's not turning uh, green, you know, I think if we can lower our expectations in life and just realize, look, uh, the world does not revolve around me, everything isn't going to go perfectly, that helps me not get so upset. So... Yeah, I, that verse in Philippians that talks about being content in all things, that mm-hmm. includes in difficult circumstances and, and suffering and trials. I think that that in there lies the key to contentment somehow in the sense of what is your focus? What do you care about? Uh, what, what are you oriented towards? And uh, Drew, to your point too, I can think of all kinds of circumstances in my life where I have felt content very temporarily, but it's almost always related to the fact that what I was hoping for happened something good happened and therefore I'm content because there is some measure of success by whatever mm-hmm. metric we measure success. But I would say that to have a, per, a pervading, pervasive, abiding kind of contentment, I don't think you can find it in the circumstances of this world. I think you've got to orient yeah. yourself somewhere else. And what is that secret that Paul was talking mm-hmm. about when he says, I've learned the secret to be content in all things. I think that's very different than the kind of contentment I usually seek. Yeah. We had an old man in our church by the name of Olaf. We called him St. Olaf. <laughs> he was just a great guy. He had a cabin up north and a, an arsonist came through and burnt down a bunch of cabins, including his. And he said to me, best day of my life. Mm. Because he got so tired of having to drive three hours north, fix the windows, mow the lawn, et cetera. And he loved it when his cabin burned down. <laughs> and, and I'm just thinking, too, I, I don't want to buy a second home in Florida as if I might be able to. Too much headache. I think if we simplify our lives, I mean, I have a great life, and it's pretty – I live on garage sales. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think if we simplify our lives, don't expect everything to go perfectly – then we don't get so upset when they don't, you know? Yeah, I think about, uh, I was talking with somebody the other day about retirement and the idea that, boy, if I can finally just retire and not have to do this job X number of weeks, I'm finally going to be happy and content. And they said it took about maybe two weeks before boredom set in and there was, there was not the contentment that they thought they were going to get after yeah. all of that time. And they thought, I finally have all this time to myself, I'll be happy and content. And they were sort of miserable wondering what to make of life. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. It is interesting when you're busy and you've got a one o'clock tea time, you work so hard to get to that one o'clock tea time. That's really true. And then when you take away all the work, 
and you've got a one o'clock tea time, you don't care about it as much. Yeah, it's really true. That's really because you've got this little goal set out. <laughs> All right, let, let me take a break. Guy talks underway. Let us know if you've got an issue you would like us to discuss. When we come back, we're going to talk about the price of obedience. I've got in my studio Dr. Peter Kapsner, Drew Fernelius, and Pastor Tom Brock. Pastor Tom Brock's website is pastorstudy.org. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thursdays, we try to do guy talk, and then we try to do the amazing and beautiful Queens of the Roundtable. It's just a roundtable of men and women, uh, followers of Jesus, who love to have conversation about whatever it is you'd like us to chew on. But right now, I want to talk about the price of obedience. So, if you think the price of sin would be worth it, what would be your rationale before God? Hmm. I was stupid, Lord. Forgive me. Okay. That's about the only rationale. Okay. And that, that, that's the, you know, you uh, the stupidity of my flesh. I can know something's wrong and hurtful and hurts me and others and still do it. Mm. It's just, I, I remember dealing with an alcoholic once in my church years ago, and, and he, he refused to take even a baby step to get help to be obedient. And so finally I had to tell him, you know, you can't be a member here. You can't take communion until you repent. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, if the Lord Jesus was in the room himself and I wanted to take a drink, I would take it. Okay. And I said to him, I get that. I have, I have my sinful flesh to deal with too, but could you take a baby step? And if, if somebody is falling and sinning but repenting and getting help, no problem. But if they're living in impenitent sin and they refuse to get any kind of help or take a baby step, I think their salvation is at stake. First Corinthians six nine through eleven. Don't be deceived. You can't live in impenitent sin and be saved. We all sin daily in thought, word, and deed, but you can't live in it with no battle. And when when there's no battle, uh, something's wrong. That's yep. a can of worms. That is it. That I mean, is it. Yeah, and I think in terms of what you're talking about too, Tom, it makes me think that uh, so many of my students, when they come into class, they think about the consequences of sin as it relates to some future eternal judgment, that they're going to be separated from God. But what they don't talk about is what would be an immediate consequence of this sin. And yeah. so even the idea they'll come in and say, hey, you know, if we're going to have sex before marriage, um, what, that feels great. And what's wrong with this? And, you know, maybe I'll need to get forgiveness later somehow. But we, they don't think a lot about what is the immediate consequence mm-hmm. of a sin that's going to create some havoc in their life, whether it's in their relationships, their personal life, the way they view their life, something about depression, anxiety. There's yeah. not a lot of that immediate consequence. I did X and Y begins to happen in my mm-hmm. life. It's almost always about, well, I'm cutting myself off from God uh, and I'll worry about hell later. Maybe I could even repent on my deathbed, you know. Yeah sort of have a life in terms of the way that I want it. Yeah, the sin has the consequence, you know, working and dealing with young people. The, the sad thing is, is so often they just see, especially in the Christian context, well, at least I'm not doing this. Yeah. Or at least I'm not like that. And sadly, they don't see that there's, every sin has that consequence. And, 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 and how, do we, how do we portray to them that it has that consequence? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you think of something I'm not asking specifically, but maybe this is just a rhetorical thought for listeners. Is there something you can think of in your heart that you know needs to be discarded in order to uh, give you additional spiritual strength in the Lord? I mean, it gets back to a little bit of, you know, what, mm-hmm. what we started talking about. 
you know, for me, and I pray on this regularly, Mm -hmm. Lord, help me be very careful with how much time I spend in the media, the Internet, you know, Facebook, my phone. Just that has that can just so overtake a person's life. Not that anything's wrong with it in itself, but I have to pray, Lord, help me not overdo it today or my time with the Lord can just kind of go out the window. Yeah, a lot of distractions. Yeah, I think for me, it, it really goes back to what we said before the break. It, it sort of is an evaluation of what I think actually is significant in life versus those things that really are significant. And how much time do I spend doing things that I, I think are significant, whether it be teaching or being on a radio show or preaching a sermon? And I somehow measure those too often as far more significant than sitting in sort of the anonymity of playing a game with my seven-year-old at home or my nine-year-old or whatever that looks like. And I, th- and, I, and I think I have the wrong metrics for that, which is significant. And I would like to discard some of that energy that you have that sort of gets you up and drives you all day long and says, I have to do this in order to be significant and maybe really be able to think about what, what sort of more that permanent contentment looks like. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you to be um, in the world but not of the world? Mm. How would you... How would you explain that to somebody? Well, I think it's it's a great one that we talk about as as far as being a Christian tennis team. Uh, how do we how do we compete and you know know that we're going to fight to win with every every dying breath, but at the same t- at the same time set our standards higher and above. You know, it, you know, it, you know. Jesus talks about heaven is is right now, but not yet. I think it's the same thing. We're called to live in the right here, but realize that uh, we still have one one foot in the not yet. Mm-hmm. You know. I think, too, for me, the way to be in the world and not of the world is I have to have my quiet time mm-hmm. with the Lord. And I, I don't make it every single day, but I try, and normally, often I do, I'll try to spend one hour alone in the morning with the Lord, praying, reading my Bible, etc. That helps me kind of not just walk into the day not having said boo to the Lord. And so I, for me, in the morning, spending time alone with the Lord helps me be in the world, but not of the world. Mm -hmm. Great answer. Yeah, and I wonder too a bit in terms of what kinds of things that are part of the world should we do so we have a better understanding of the world that don't also compromise our sort of our interior world and sinfulness. I mean, you know, would be playing three hours of Fortnite in a night. Would that be something that we should do so we have a better understanding of what millions and millions and millions of people are doing so that we can sort of speak into that? And and if that is, yes, we should be kind of doing things like Fortnite. How far do you take that? Should you have a glass of wine? Should you have two glasses of wine? Like, How far do you go in terms of your engagement with the world so that you can better understand the world to shine a light in the world? Those are really tricky questions. Uh And, And when do you just say, Hands off! I shouldn't be doing this yeah. uh, kind of behavior well, or idea. I I I have a TV show on regular TV and cable TV. I preach against cable on cable. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the deal: I just have regular TV. That's from hell. Cable TV <laughs> is from the inner recesses of hell. I mean, I I was I, I I preached last month in Florida, so I stayed four weeks in this pastor's house while he and his wife were on sabbatical. They have Netflix. Good night. I mean, Netflix is one of the cleaner services. Yeah. But to to get through to to see an old movie that I wanted to see, I had to pass stuff that I didn't want to pa- have to look at. And so I think be very careful what TV um, service you get in your house. I mean, the other stuff, all the pornography stuff, even if you don't have it, you got to look at these titles that are just raunchy. So I think we need to be very careful what we watch on television and to... I mean, good night, HBO, yeah. MTV, and these are the, the tamer things. So just to protect me, because I don't always 
turn the channel as quickly as I should. I don't have them in the house at all. Yeah. So, so you haven't watched Stranger Things on Netflix? No, I haven't. Because I just just watched that with my daughter, and it's the it's the popular thing with the younger peoples, and I think it's a a great thing to be in and to, to watch it with them and to understand and to be able to have a a real conversation about what is real and what isn't, and what can have the negative influence to be a part of that. Yeah, and and, and when I watch some of those shows. I know when I was in my 20s, um, I, I really enjoyed some of like the Goodfellas kind of TV shows, you know, these mob and these violent kind of shows. And and over time, I realized I, that word desensitization really had happened in my life. Some things that would have been disturbing about somebody getting killed right in front of you in a pretty graphic way on the screen. I like remember not being bothered by that and then actually beginning to get to a point where I almost look forward to the bad guy getting killed in no. as grotesque a way as possible. <laughs> right. And then we had kids and my life went to Barney. For the next probably about seven or eight years, that's what I was watching every night. And by the time I went back to some violent kinds of movies and TV shows that I hadn't seen for about 10 years, I remember the first time after that length of time, somebody getting killed on the screen. It just, my spirit just recoiled mm-hmm. from it. And I forgot, what did I substitute? What did I sacrifice from sort of the daily engagement yeah. with some of these shows that I didn't realize I had become so desensitized to? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a great point, too. I mean, how many times do we get a check in our spirit when we're watching something yeah. with our kids? But then if, if I was watching that by myself, there would be nothing. And I think that should be a real thing that we should, we should, I should live with that either way. Now, Peter, can you admit to that at one point you wanted Barney to be killed? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say all of us have had that thought before, but there's no question. When he's saying, I love you and you love me, that is a bunch of baloney right there. Oh, my. <laughs> we digress. Yeah. All right. We just got a couple of minutes before we go to break. So we want uh, to invite anyone who would like us to tackle a topic or maybe you've heard something you'd like us to uh, clarify or elaborate on, that would be awesome. You can uh, give us a, send us a text at 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. You can also do the old-fashioned way, which is email. That's bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. So uh, can you understand Scripture without the Holy Spirit's aid? I don't think so. So you're an unregenerated person. Yep. You're hearing something about salvation and faith, and that's does the Holy Spirit help guide you through that process so yep. you at least understand that part? The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, and he does that mainly through the Scripture. But you've got Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons who say they've got the Bible like we've got it, and it ain't what we believe. And mm-hmm. some, somewhere the Holy Spirit has to—and I, I, here's the other thing. Uh, I'm not a Roman Catholic. I'm a Lutheran, but— I like to ask the question, how has this church always understood this topic in the Bible for the last 2,000 years? And if it's real different, like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, then something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks to the guys who are here, uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Drew Frenelius, and Tom Brock. We're enjoying our time together. If you want to give us a question to chew on. And let us know what it is, 877-933-2484 or bill at myfaithradio.com. We'd love to uh, hear your question or maybe you heard something you'd like us to clarify. We'll do either. Be back in a minute.
Welcome back to the show. I'm enjoying Guy Talk today. Our panel is Dr. Peter Kapsner, Drew Fernelius, and Pastor Tom Brock. Thank you all for being here. I love Guy Talk. It's so fun to just get a subject and a topic and chew on it. Uh, here's one that we can start chewing on. Does pain come from a loving God who seeks your best? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy way out. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, you might not come back. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to agree with Drew, but but I do. You know, I think it's hard to discern that, right? I mean, we all have pain in our lives, and I would be, I I think it's a mistake to be too quick to say that God is doing that, and I think it'd be a mistake to be too slow in in God saying that clearly the biblical text does give us plenty of examples of God bringing adverse circumstances Mm -hmm. into our lives. And uh, I can think of several circumstances in my life where I began to pray for some things in terms of some different transformation in my own spirit, some ways of, uh, that I needed to change, that I knew I needed to change. And I'll tell you what, it was hardly ever God bringing a little cake along and saying, here, I'll help you change through a big party. It was almost always through pain, trials, yes. and turmoil that uh, really began to reveal some things. And I, I think that passage in James is instructive about considering it joy when the trials come. And I can't say I consider it joy, but I can say that I don't know too many other roads to authentic character that's consistent with the kingdom besides trials. And and now and then you hear someone say, well, my loving God would never cause anyone pain. And and my response is, okay, let's think of this. Who is it that rained fire and brimstone on Sodom? Who is it that did the flood of Noah? Who is it that hit Pharaoh with plagues? You know, who is it that killed and made sick the Corinthians for getting drunk on Holy Communion? Yeah. It was the Lord. And, and, and uh, God says to Moses at the burning bush, who makes man deaf, dumb? Excuse me. Who makes man? <laughs> who makes man deaf, dumb, seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So if I had a baby that was born blind, the Lord did that, according to Exodus four eleven. And if a disaster comes against what is this, Amos, uh, Micah? Uh, if a disaster comes against the city, has not the Lord done it? And and if you look at for the first three chapters of Job, yes, Job gets hit by Satan with all the crud, but he, Satan has to go before the throne of God before he can touch him. So I, I heard an old preacher say, nothing can come into the life of a saint of God unless it first goes before the throne to get permission. Mm-hmm. So it's the whole thing about Satan on a leash. God God holds the leash. Okay, Satan, you can touch his body, but you can't uh, touch uh, his he can't take his life, you know, et cetera. So I, to me, that's a comfort. I want God running the universe and not the devil. I want God to be in control of my pain and not the devil. Well, it always bothers me when I hear people say that God doesn't give me anything I can't handle. God gives me lots of things that I can't <laughs> handle. And, and that, that reminds me that I need him. Yeah. And and so I don't think it's, it's really sometimes it's just a matter of semantics. Did God allow it to happen or did mm-hmm. God cause it to happen? Mm-hmm. The, the truth of the matter is, is he promises to be with us through that happening. Yeah. I had a listener who jumped in, and I, I, you, never, you never have tone in email, right? But I think she's being, he or she is being very gracious. And they said, don't knock Barney. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and because it says 30 years with a special needs daughter. Yeah. And we love his ability to pacify her. Yeah, I'll say, I mean, truly, and, and, and having fun, obviously, Barney, does, he takes a lot of heat. Of course. Uh, but boy, that, it was, a, we, I'll say it this way. We knew we could trust what was coming. We didn't have to, sit, you know, vet Barney before we watched it with the kids because the messages were really positive in in so many ways. And I know that my kids were just riveted, and it was it was a fun place to share with the family. As weird as that sounds, with the purple dinosaur, but it was it was a really sweet time in our family. All right, this question 
I don't know who wants to jump on this one, if any of you do, but God wants us to forgive, right? Yes. Clearly. All right, Drew, you're going to jump you in. You say sometimes right. again, Drew? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> God wants us to forgive, but the one who rejects him, he doesn't seem to forgive. There is eternal separation because of the rebellion and the decision that they make. So, What's the it, question in that? Well, um, the question God is, forgive? God wants us to forgive, but does it, does it seem that God doesn't forgive the person who doesn't come to him for forgiveness? Absolutely. I, I think it's, it's, it's very, very true. Unless you, unless you ask for forgiveness, are you going to get it? I mean, we talk over and over about that we're supposed to forgive so many times, right? 70 times 7? Mm-hmm. So absolutely, and we should over and over. We are, but there's, if, if it's not asked for, if it's not seeked for, yes, in my own spirit, I need to release it and to let it go so that there's healing and that available. But there's, there's a lot of truth to be looking at the scene. If, if, uh, if Peter wrongs me and he doesn't ask for forgiveness from me, am I inclined to have to forgive him for myself? Probably. But for him, if he hasn't asked for it, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't see that I could experience forgiveness if I haven't actually asked for it. But to your point, I th- can you offer it? I think you can, and just be able to say, "I'm going to re- to be released from this circumstance." But that doesn't mean that the person who is the recipient of the forgiveness is going to experience it if yeah. they don't want it. And I remember one. I think it was during the same week, if I remember right. They showed on the news this family whose daughter had been killed, and and uh, the dad got up, and I I. Uh, you know, sir, what you've done is ruined me and my family. I hope you burn in hell. Mm-hmm. And then I think a few days later, same situation, the mom or dad gets up and says, well, uh, we uh, we hate what you've done, but because we're, of our faith in Christ, we forgive you for what you've done. And the question is, who's more who's more free? Yeah. The second family is. Now, the question, though, is, all right, if we have to forgive everybody, why doesn't God forgive unbelievers and take them to heaven when they die? And I, the only answer I can think of is God's forgiveness is different than ours. It's mm. better than ours. It's deeper than ours. But there, there is a time when the fuse goes out and God says no. And uh, we're not to do that, this side of heaven, but we will agree with God when he does it on the other side that it was just and holy and righteous. Is it possible to say that God is always offering forgiveness and the possibility of forgiveness, but if people won't turn and repent, then they'll mm-hmm. never actually experience the yeah. forgiveness that's possible in that moment? That's a tricky one. Yeah, it is tricky. Yeah, I wanted to ask a semi-provocative kind of question. I mean, yeah. You know, good. Yep. So I appreciate how you guys have handled that. Do you think that uh, believers think that prosperity in life, I'm not speaking money necessarily, but just good things that are happening is not necessarily God's blessing and difficult circumstances or, you know, being upside down in life is not necessarily God's displeasure? I hate he keeps walking both sides of the fence, but yes and no. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. Because I think it can have a direct consequence to, to our actions where, where God's in in the midst and a part of our lives. But we've all seen also other example too where people get ahead and, and, and flourish and prosper and they're so far from God that we, we ask the question, why them? Yeah. Why not me when I'm being faithful? And we don't always know the answer to that. But I think what the ultimate truth is, is, is is knowing that God can be with us, whether we're not we're we're faithful and we're walking with Him and we're prospering right now, or whether we're struggling and having trials. Yeah, that, that is such a tricky one, isn't it? But I think Drew, to your point, I mean, it does talk about how you know the wicked absolutely can prosper, and there's a lot of psalms of lament in which the person who's not prospering in that moment um, is is wondering why the wicked are, and God must not be present then in those moments, and. 
uh, those are some of the most challenging times, I think. But I think also, too, Bill, I heard in some of your question, there's so many things that I feel like I just put my hand to the plow and something happens. And did God make that happen or did I make that happen? And what does it mean to give God glory and all of these sorts of things? If I study for an exam for 8, 10, 12 hours and really put my mind to it and I get an A on the other side, do I give God glory for that? Or do I say, hey, I did a pretty good job studying or is it some combination thereof? But I think that applies to all of life in terms Mm -hmm. of getting jobs, in terms of relationships that are going well. What is my responsibility in that? And how do I give glory to God in the midst of that when I'm not just sitting back and God's making it all happen? I'm clearly participating on some level. I I don't know what to do with that all the time. And I like the verse where Jesus said, a sparrow does not fall to the ground apart from our Father. And I like to believe that everything good and bad comes from the hand of God. And I, I when when I think of maybe the very worst times of my life, looking back on it now, I see the hand of God. Mm. And it was for my good. Romans 8.28, you know. That's a great... Romans 8.28, I think you put on top of everything. Whether things are going great or horrible, God is uh, working all things together for my good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like about that too, is that it works all things for good. He doesn't say all things are good because we all know that there's a lot of things that are yep. are pretty bad, yep. but he can take that and make it into something good. Yep. I think that's the essence of that. Yep. Sometimes we talk about things, all things are good, and then we just put a slap on a happy face because all things are good. We know it's not true. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, that's so much at the heart of God's redemption, isn't it? Is the ability to to take things and redeem and restore and uh, create a future that is possible and hopeful in the midst of all these travails. But I, I appreciate that because I think to be able to say, hey, I'm just happy and all joyful when things are really rough. It's the idea that God still can redeem that pulls me through mm-hmm. and not that I'm feeling great in the moment. And, and the, the Romans eight twenty eight of the Old Testament is Genesis 50 verse 20. Where Joseph says, you brothers meant it for evil when you threw me down the well and wanted to kill me and sell me and did sell me. But God meant it for good so that we could stay alive through the famine. So there's an instance of people being evil, but God foreseeing it, planning it so that Joseph and his family could be alive and well. So, you know, some of this is beyond our noodle on how this works. (laughs) But um, if somebody wounds me and hurts me, I want to believe God's got a purpose in this. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we can minister to people knowing that, you know, because there's a lot of people that are hurting. And when you can explain to them and show them that this isn't this isn't necessarily what God would have wanted, mm-hmm. but he can work it in that direction, you know, what a transformation we can see in that, in right, that in life. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah, here? go ahead. True story. Five-year-old girl gets killed by a drunk driver. Yeah. These are uh, a Lutheran family. They're going to have two funerals, one in southern Minnesota, one in northern. They have the first funeral— and it's a, it's, a, it's a certain pastor, and we don't know why God allowed this, but we know that it was God's time to take her home, and we just got to trust God that he knows what he's doing. They drive north for funeral number two, totally different pastor. Well, I want you to know for sure it is not the will of God for a five-year-old girl to have her life taken away by a drunk driver, and the poor family is left scratching their mm-hmm. heads. I like the first sermon. If my five-year-old daughter was killed... I want to believe God is in control of when she lives and when she dies, and not that the devil or some drunk is is ruling the universe. Now, that doesn't, again, some of this is beyond me. Yes, it's wrong for drunk drivers to kill people. It's a sin. But God even overrules sin for for our good. That's my thought.
Yeah. Yeah, that is a hard one. I certainly know quite a few people that will say, well, if, if God is that way, and let's say that way means that a, a five and a seven year old suddenly use their lose their father or their mother to cancer or to a tragic car accident or something and say, if your God is that way, mm-hmm. and that was his will to take away mom or dad from the young kids, that's not a God I want to serve. What kind of sadistic God is that? Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think that conversation is such a delicate one, isn't it? In terms yeah. of how do we understand God's providence and his will mm-hmm. when these life circumstances happen? that are so brutal and to just be able to say hey god must have needed another angel in heaven is not at all helpful That's to the five and seven year olds that point. <laughs> like, don't say i that needed my dad more than god needed an angel is you know yeah. is really i think a, a understandable objection yeah so here's a follow-up from a listener for a little clarification they might be thinking we have an advantage because i host a christian radio show and pastor is pastor pastor is a teacher <laughs> and you talk about living in the world but not of the world what does that look like for those of us who work or go to school in the world? Yeah, well, I think and something I don't talk about much. I do own a business that's part of the power sports uh, industry, and uh, there's nothing Christian about that industry, you know. But there's some of the most lovely people that I've met, and so there's a good three or four days um, a week in which you know engaging not in some sort of Christian organization. I really appreciate the question because I think Christian organizations can get insulated Mm -hmm. from what's really going on in the world. And I'll say this, uh, there's a lot going on in that particular industry and in people's regular lives that I think there's a miss that's happening so often that the church is not equipping this listener and other people for that's going on in the world. Because uh, when you interact with people day in and day out, uh, there's not a lot of Christian conversation going on. And so I think that the question is, is how should and can the church equip people to be salt and light in the world in ways where they actually understand what this listener and other people are thinking about and what they're dealing with day in and day out. Because, I mean, like you said, Bill, you and I can be involved in a Christian radio network and not really have that much of an idea, if we're not careful, of what's actually going on in the world and how people can be equipped for it. Yeah, we can talk about God and faith and oh, Jesus absolutely. to anyone that walks in this building, mm-hmm. you know, right? and not fear anything. Yeah, and we just I had a class that I'm teaching at Bethel Seminary right now about just sort of, it's called the theology of vocation, meaning what does it mean to be a pastor and have that be your job? And especially if you as a pastor are not actually engaged in the world. And we had one whole week about the idea that should pastors all be bivocational. So they have some of their income being derived from the church, but they should have a job in regular life. So they know what's going on in regular life and not just be sitting behind the walls of a Christian organization. It was a pretty thought-provoking conversation because that can help inform the shape of the ministry when the pastoral staff and the leaders are actually involved in the world around us. Yeah. Would you like fries with that? Okay, that's my, that's, that's my <laughs> other job. Wait. I love that. Yeah, let me take a little break. We'll be right back with more Guide Talk. Thanks for uh, listening. And if you have any questions, let us know what they are. You can text 877-933-2484 or email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to Guide Talk. Awfully glad to have my power panel, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Drew Fernelius, and Pastor Tom Brock in studio, all sitting around this table. We're open to having any discussion that you would like to direct. Uh, we are listener-supported, so we want to hear from you and try to answer your questions, take on your concerns, deal with your issues, uh, anything re- relating to uh, the Bible or life, or we will do our best, Okay. So in the Bible, it talks that um, that God is is jealous, and as I, I think about the fact that we are always pursuing idols in life, we're always looking for 
the next thing that we're going to add to our resume or that's going to add meaning to our life. And I've been at some funerals lately, and when you hear the remarks, the the remarks are either going to be, wow, is that powerful, or boy, this feels kind of embarrassing mm. to talk about the hole-in-one they had, you know, or to hear about something that just has no impact on eternity. So I have no question. I'm just, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, right now I don't have a question except the idea that God does not want us to share his glory with anybody. Right. How are we doing as men in this culture following that? Mm. Yeah, I, it's a really good question, Bill. I, and um, I've been looking at uh, the book of Ruth a little bit. I'm just doing a sermon this Sunday at a local church, and <clears throat> the end of the book of Ruth is about this woman who um, she decided to walk into the unknown, and as a result of her taking a risk and walking into the unknown, uh, she ended up being part of the lineage of Jesus coming forth and the redemption of God. And, and it's this question of um, how much are we called to walk into the unknown? And I, I'll tell you what, I think there's a lot of us as men, especially as we get into our 40s, 50s, and 60s, that are trying to eliminate all the unknown of the future and are and are trying to just sort of walk out life in a way that uh, it's sort of all stable. And uh, and when I get to the end of my life and at a funeral, I don't want it to be that people were pretty amazed that I had a hole-in-one when I was 63 <laughs> after I was retired, right? right I mean, yeah. but, but I don't know of any other way to have the kind of funeral that I would want. And I'm not saying that, I'll, that I do this well, but to continue to walk out life until I die, walking into the unknown, following Jesus to that last step, that last breath, um, because I don't, I, I think what then gets birthed into the future from doing that kind of work it would be the people that are sitting at your funeral would be the things that we talk about that they'll forget about you pretty quickly, I bet. But I, I, I think that what you do continues to somehow ripple in lives ahead. And I'm not sure that we as men do a great job of thinking about, I will do what I'm going to do in the present on behalf of the future, even if it costs me. It's mostly about what I want for my life right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say, too, for all of our listeners, plan your funeral Pick your preacher and tell him, you can talk about me for three minutes, and the rest of the sermon needs to be salvation, maybe an altar call, because mm-hmm. lots of people go to funerals who are only in church on funeral day. Right. And so, I, I mean, yesterday, I, Bill, I had a Hollywood moment. I'm sitting at Taco Bell, and this older <laughs> lady across from me, aren't you Pastor Brock? And I said, oh, I love your TV show. You're such a wonderful man of God. And I said to her, you don't know me, <laughs> you know. And when you go to a funeral and they start praising somebody, yeah. My a, a, as a sinner who knows what I am, I think, well, yeah, but there's a whole other half to this human, and we need to not just at funerals, but in our whole life, when people praise us too much, just to say thank you. I, I don't. I also don't like when pastors are shaking hands. Oh, pastor, that was so such a wonderful message. I don't say, oh, it really wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit, because that comes off as bad as saying, <laughs> I just say, thank you, next, you know. Yeah. And so I, I think when people praise us too much, much as we love it, we got to remember that I am a worm saved by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. You know? well, it- having done a couple funerals this summer, though, it makes you think about you know, as, as you as you kind of sometimes have to dive in to, to find something spiritual to say somebody, and then somebody else, <laughs> I got a privilege to open up their Bible and to look into the Bible and to see, wow, this person had Knew depth. The Lord. This yeah. person loved Jesus. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. And, you know, oh, to that person being able to do my funeral and to open up my Bible and to say, oh, this person yep. loved Jesus. Yep. Yeah. Okay, God does not promise justice in this life. So let's say you've had a tragedy 
and you're waiting upon the Lord, you're waiting for God to turn that tragedy around, so you've got something that you're living for again. How long should you have to wait? Mm. For your, until your last breath. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think what you just asked there, Bill, is maybe one of the top two or three things we need to talk about as a church and as a, as a country um, today, because I think there is an expectation that justice means that I should have the opportunity and freedom to do what I want to do out of life. And if somebody is holding me back, I'm living in an unjust circumstance. And, uh, and so uh, I think we get confused and we're beating each other up pretty good as a country and as a church about uh, issues of what we consider to be justice. But what you just pointed out is that justice is the long game and it doesn't mean we're going to experience any form of fairness on this earth. And, uh, and if we think that we're entitled to some kind of fairness to realize what I want to do out of life or somebody has wronged me and it should be justified, that's going to be an eternal thing. That's not necessarily a life thing. And uh, certainly we're all bent out of shape these days about making sure that I get the justice I think I deserve. And I mean, Tom, you're dealing with this and issues of LGBT in the, in the church on a regular basis. That's really a justice issue is how mm-hmm. it's being framed. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't want justice. I want mercy. Mm. <laughs> I mean, when people say, I want God to be just, ooh, wait a minute. That means you're going to go to hell. Do you really want that? You know. And so for me, justice is, it's good, it's God, and it's going to happen at the second coming, and it happens now and then in this life. But I don't want justice because that would not be good for my eternal soul. Mm. <laughs> I want mercy. Yeah. You know? yep. uh, there was a story of a black man in the, maybe the 30s, you know, all white courtroom with the white judge and the, the judge says, well, sir, even though this is a white jury and I'm a white judge, I want you to know you're going to get justice in my courtroom. And the black man said, sir, I don't want justice. I want mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I yep. I think, yeah, we want justice. We should work for justice. But this side of heaven, it's not going to be complete by any means. I think I think God's more interested in us doing what he calls us to do on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, Matthew 25, you did to Lisa these you did to me. Mm-hmm. You know, we all we all can take we can all take a stance on on what should be as far as immigration or or whatever, but if God brings somebody into your lives, are you willing to open up your home and have them be there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you get older, of course, the, the odds of knowing more people that are going to be getting a terminal illness um are going to stats or the numbers are going to go up. So if a loved one let you know that they had a terminal cancer or illness and was seeking your counsel on how to proceed, what would you say to them? Yeah, well, that's that's tricky. Go ahead, Drew. Well, I've, I've had the privilege of walking through that with, with a couple people. And I think, you know, when we sometimes when we see the end, we're, we're more open to seeing beyond the end. And I think it's 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 such a privilege to get to be able to see and to open that experience to say of how can you live your every last breath still knowing that God's got a plan and a purpose for you, and uh, a lot of times being able to do that can can be such a significant part not just for you but for for the person putting their hand in the hand of Jesus before they go. Yeah, I was reading a story of a 36 year old here in the last uh, few weeks or so that had a, a really aggressive terminal sarcoma of some kind, and he did a bucket list thing, and then he picked the date and went to California where they have physician assisted suicide available Ooh. at that point, and he he decided I'm going to end my life on my terms. And you know, I it, it, as part of the article, one of the things that stood out that was slightly different from that is that as you're dealing with loved ones in a terminal illness. 
I mean, you need to learn to laugh. You need to, there's an elephant in the room that happens when you walk into a room and somebody just had a significant surgery or they've lost their hair because of chemotherapy. And so to just say these things out loud yeah. mm-hmm. and, and to acknowledge what's going on and somehow walk through yeah. it as opposed to sort of this weird, almost we don't talk about it, even though it's the thing that's in the room. I think we have to learn how to talk about it with our loved ones and walk that out to the end together. When my, my dad was given six months to a year to live, and so that was my second year in college. Every time the phone rang, I prayed because thinking, and finally at the end of the year, the phone call came. We never talked about the uh. fact that he was dying, except uh, right before he went into the hospital for the last time, he took my brother and I in the living room and we talked about it and there were tears and stuff. But that was it. Yeah. And just, you know, I would encourage someone if you've got, a, I, I know a guy who's got a, two people that have gotten really bad diagnoses recently and they're talking to people about it they're talking about the lord yeah. they're using you know I, I god should not only be glorified in our lives but also in our death so if you got the bad report don't be afraid to talk to people about it tell them your trust is in the lord jesus and you know don't be quiet yeah, some of the best advice I've heard is that we have to practice death all day long in our life, meaning that you sort of are always giving up and always saying, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. Mm-hmm. The words of Jesus, have that be sort of a breath prayer of your life so that when you get to the end, mm-hmm. you've practiced that letting go over and over again, yep. and then you can actually talk about these things in the really hard stuff. Yeah. It's been a great hour. Thank you, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Drew Fernelius, and Pastor Tom Brock. What a fun hour and a fast hour. Can you believe it's over? Campbell, yeah. It goes so quick all the time. It really does. And I appreciate all the listeners that gave some great input. And I hope uh, you enjoyed this time, uh, this hour. If you missed any of it, you can always go to MyFaithRadio.com and start from the beginning. We had a lot of good questions that we uh, we chewed on. So that wraps up Guy Talk. We've got the beautiful and amazing queens of the roundtable that will be in here next. So i got to mop up in here and uh, get ready for the queens. Be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.